Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is How to Fellowship with the Holy Spirit by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I just thank you that you're always speaking to us. Holy Spirit, I want you to know you are welcome in this place. We want to see more of Jesus. And Jesus, you said that the Holy Spirit would take from what is yours and make it known to us. And and so today I pray that you would do that, Holy Spirit, that you would take from what is of Christ and impart it and reveal it to us, we ask in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to begin in uh, John chapter 7. And just so that you're wondering, uh, Simon did not get my sermon notes. Speaking about streams in the desert, we're going to begin talking about living water in just a moment. It's amazing how God sets the script and we just follow along. I, uh, I recall when I was in the forestry um, we, during the summer, we used to do pruning and we would stay away, um, for the week while we were pruning. Um, and then we would travel about an hour to a place called Gould's Country, which is a place people shouldn't have to work. But it was, anyway, we were there and, uh, we were pruning away and I had to have tight rules on these guys because uh, they worked during the day, but they liked to have a private life of a night time. And that kind of interfered with, the fact that I needed to get work done sometimes. So I kind of said, you know, if you guys are going to be drinking, because uh, a lot of the guys that worked with me drank, drank more than the fish that I catch, half of them. But, uh, but I, I used to have to put rules and boundaries on these guys. I remember, remember one night I got soft and I said, look, uh, I'm going to bed. It was about 10 o'clock. I said, I'm going to bed. I said, you guys can stay out drinking for another hour or so. I, I said, don't forget the taxi leaves here at five in the morning. Don't be late for the bus in the morning, and uh, that was the worst mistake I made. Uh, as happens with guys when they drink, they had counselling sessions with each other out in the driveway, they were fighting and brawling, and uh, I think I got half an hour's sleep before the alarm went off at four o'clock, and these guys were still up, oh, is it really four o'clock? Yeah, it's really four o'clock, and these guys had drank far too much, and I threw them in the back of the troop carrier, we went into town, I got coffee, they stocked up on coke, ready for the day. You know, breakfast of champions, right? Uh, and on the way out, I, if, I'm glad I didn't get pulled over for a breath. I, I would have blew just from the fumes from the back. I mean, if the, if the cops had have pulled us up, we would have been in big trouble. But nonetheless, uh, it was a really hot day. In fact, Tasmania had reached the high 20s, would you believe it? <laughs> Whew. Yeah, we moved that little bit closer to the sun, right? <laughs> but however, uh, we, that particular day, we were beginning at the top of the hill and we had to work our way down into a steep tongue to finish off. And normally I would move the vehicle as we worked our way down so that the boys could get a drink. But today I didn't, yeah. I can remember them walking out and they had their tongues hanging on the ground and they said, man, we're thirsty. And I said, that's okay. I said, you can have a drink. They said, but the car's all the way back up there. And I said, nobody's stopping you walking up there to get it. The two things never happened after that day. They never drank that much again. And we never worked into a tongue on a Friday after a session. But these guys were enormously thirsty. In the end, I relented. Michael, you'll, you'll, you'll be glad to know that I had some grace in the end and I moved the vehicle down and nobody died that day. But those men that walked out of the bush remind me of so many people that I see each and every day, enormously, enormously thirsty. We live in a culture of people that are enormously thirsty. And just like these guys, you know, by the time they made it to the troop carrier, they crack open these bottles of Coke and they drink the bottle of Coke and they go, 
<sighs> and then three seconds later, they go, man, I'm thirsty. It's like drinking salt water when you're thirsty, right? But the sad truth is that it's not only people in the world that are thirsty. Our church pews are full of thirsty people. And, you know, I hear often in pastoral circles, you know, the, cha- the, the church needs to change because we need to meet this generational gap and we, the church needs to kind of conform. A little bit more about that next week. We're going to see what the church should look like next week. But, but I disagree with that. And the reason is, it doesn't matter what generation we're talking about. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about baby boomers, boomers, Gen Y, millennials. I don't care who it is. The problem is the same. The problem is the human heart and everybody's thirsty. In fact, we stand at the greatest opportunity to reach people for Christ. Why? Because uh, recent surveys have revealed that people are enormously thirsty for spiritual things. So the challenge comes, why are we thirsty? And what can we do about it? Well, Jesus had something to say and... uh, John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day. And we need the context of this feast because Jesus was the greatest preacher. He could preach context better than anybody I've ever known. But Jesus, against the backdrop of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, it was the feast where they celebrated the fact, basically the time that they spent in the wilderness. But it was all about the fact that in the wilderness, they had received miraculous provision of water while they were in, in the uh, wilderness. It was also not only a celebration of the past, but this feast was looking forward in the prophecies of like Ezekiel 47, that the Messiah would come. It was a messianic prophecy where the Messiah would come and, and then rivers of living water would flow from the temple. And so what would happen is uh, this feast went for seven days. The Jews knew how to celebrate, right? But the feast would go for seven days and every morning they would, uh, they would take water out of the pool of Siloam and they would carry that water to the gates of the temple and then they would blow this shafar, which sounds like an elongated fart. But apart from that, they would blow this big long shafar and the gates would open and they would fill these bowls with water and another bowl with wine and then they would pour it all over the altar. And it's against that backdrop that Jesus stands up and says, if anybody is thirsty, what Jesus is now going to say is, everything you're celebrating from the past and everything you're looking forward to in the future, I am the fulfilment of everything you're looking for. We live in a time today where everybody is thirsty And you don't need to be thirsty. That's the great news I have for every person today. You don't have to be thirsty another day of your life. You can try and fill it with whatever you like. And this morning I noticed that uh, I get up reasonably early. Uh, I like to get up before the sun just to make sure. But I I get uh, my wife is on the other side. She says, you know what? If God wanted me to see the sunrise, he would have just scheduled it a little later in the day. But I noticed when I got up this morning, I have to get here early because I've got to let God in, right? But I, uh, I was up early and as I'm backing out of the driveway, uh, a guy up the road is pulling out of his driveway with a golf cart on the back. Who knows we were both going to worship. Uh, for those that came to the men's breakfast yesterday and Louis Giglio was talking about how many golf balls it would take, For those that have had that analogy, that's about how many golf balls it takes me to get around 18 holes. I I I think golf's a great game, it just ruins a great walk. (laughs) But however, people are thirsty and people are trying to quench their thirst however they 
can. Jesus is the only one. Jesus got some great news for people today. He says on the great day, it says that Jesus stood up and cried out. And this isn't just Jesus piped up and went, hey guys. No, Jesus stood up and declared so that everybody could hear him. If anybody thirsts. Is anybody thirsty today? You know what, when I was reading this this week, I said, Lord, I'm thirsty for more. If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And most of us get the first part of that right and we neglect the second part. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Another way the Greek probably is more accurate. If you take it in the Greek, it sounds like this. Let him come to me and let him who believes in me drink. And most of us get the first part right and we neglect the second part. If you're sitting here this morning going, I'm thirsty, pastor, and I want to know how it is that I can begin to drink. Well, I'm glad you came this morning. God's got some great news for us. The answer for the world, I want everybody to hear what Jesus got to say here. The, the answer to the thirsty people sitting in church pews, the answer for our thirsty secular society is not that we change, morph or turn the lights off or ramp anything up. The change that needs to happen is a change in the heart. They're waiting for us. Believe it or not, the world is enormously thirsty and is looking to the church. I don't know anybody who watched Q&A the other night, but God bless Martin Isles. Um, and if you are, do whatever you can to sign up to Australian Christian Lobby. Do whatever you can to support them. We're going to continue to try and do that as a church. But Martin Isles is God's man in God's place right now. And he spoke the truth. He didn't back down on Thursday night. He spoke the truth and he let him have it. And praise God, because there's a lot of people that have got questions and they need living water. They don't need dress ups anymore. We've got to stop giving people coke. This is kind of instant gratification stuff. Jesus said that for those of us who drink, it has been designed that from inside of us, from our heart, from our inner man, will flow rivers of living water. What did Jesus, what was Jesus talking about? John tells us. Now this he said about the spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I've got some great news this morning. Jesus has been glorified. Jesus is glorified. The Holy Spirit has been given. I hope you're here next week, because I'm going to be here just for something different. I thought I'd turn up next week as well. But next week we're going to talk a little bit more about the church from the book of Acts. I believe there is a message for us today from the book of Acts as we begin to ask questions, what will the church look like in the future? But I want to talk about a man that shaped the church in the first century who had something to say to the Corinthian church. If you're writing down verses this morning, write down this verse. It's really important. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says this. The grace, it's a doxology. It's the last verse in the book. But he says something deeply profound. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I read that recently and I thought, Paul, what are you talking about? If we did a survey across the room right now, most of us would say, you know what? I think we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But what does this word fellowship mean? What did Paul mean by that? Because I know what I mean by fellowship. It's what happens here on a Sunday, right? It's part of it. By the way, community and 
physical fellowship is deeply spiritual. Uh, tune in next week for that one as well. But, but fellowship is where two people or a group of people perhaps that are like-minded, kind of going in the same direction of life, kind of have this kind of connection. That's how I understand fellowship. But what did Paul mean when he used the word fellowship? To begin with, I want to unpack the word fellowship, and the best way to do that is to look at other examples where the word is used. But the word in the Greek means koinonia. We would know koinonia to mean communion, which we just celebrated. It's communion or it's fellowship. But let me give you some examples where this word is used, but differently translated. Same word in the Greek, but the context gives us a different understanding. Philippians 1 verse 5, Paul says that the Philippians were or had entered into partnership with him. Now, the context of that verse is because of the gifts, the monetary physical gifts that they had given Paul, Paul says, you guys have entered into fellowship. You guys have entered into communion. You guys have entered into partnership with me. Fellowship is partnership. Some of these are going to be important words that we work our way forward. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 1, Paul goes on and says, uh, and the participation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill. I love Leonard Ravenhill was about the same time as Tozer. These guys uh, just kind of wrote in black and white. There was no grey when these guys wrote. And, and Leonard Ravenhill said that the world is not waiting for another description of Christianity. The world is waiting for another demonstration. What Paul said to the Philippians was the participation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must be, fellowship must look like it's experiential. No use me saying I have fellowship with you guys if I never turn up. Philippians 3.10, Paul says the word share, same word, koinonia, sharing, partnership, participation. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4, Paul goes on and says, talks about taking part. Very important words as we look at what fellowship will be. This morning I want to make a claim that will probably rattle a few feathers here this morning. There is an enormous difference between relationship and fellowship. And let me help you try and understand what I mean by that. Because there are many people, I believe, that have a relationship with God, but maybe not the fellowship. Let me, let me highlight what that means. Uh, if you were to come to my house, uh, in my house, uh, of course, I have my wife and I have four children. I'm looking to give the kids away. If anyone's got some space, let me know. We'll, we'll let you, I've got a couple spare. But how many people know that what relationship actually speaks about is status? So my children, for example, I have a relationship with every one of my children. We, we throw this word around today, but it's a good word to use when we speak about coming into knowing God. It's a, it's a relationship with God because what happens is your status changes because of the person of Jesus Christ. Your status, your standing before God. But there is an enormous difference in my house, for example, with my children between relationship and fellowship. The reality is that we can live in the same house. The reality is that we can occupy the same space. The the reality is that we can kind of be around each other but not have fellowship. Still got a relationship. They will always be my children. Well, (laughs) we used to send convicts to Tasmania. We could always send them back. 
The truth is that they will never lose the status of relationship. But fellowship is actually a choice. And for, for me as a father, I, get, I got this wrong like a lot of fathers do, and I had to make a conscious decision. I don't want to just have a relationship with my children. I want to have fellowship. So I deliberately make time. I deliberately try to spend time with them fishing. And, and, and with my daughter, it's easy. As long as you've got your bank card and we go to a shopping centre, we, <laughs> well, we can fellowship as long as you like. But let's bring it into another sphere that we might understand a little bit better as well for those that are married here today. Uh, uh, Tragically, I I remember the first place that I worked, um, my foreman, uh, he he was married to the boss's daughter and didn't think that one through. However, I went to see him one day at his house and he had a double-storey house and he occupied the lower floor and she occupied the Top floor. They were married. They had a piece of paper that said so. She even had his last name. When they went out together to dinner, they acted like a married couple. They had a relationship. They had a status. But I observed them long enough to understand something. They didn't have fellowship. You see, marriage isn't about occupying and sharing a house. Marriage isn't about just having a piece of paper that says you're joined together. Marriage is about being intimately connected with another person. A little bit more about that later because marriage is also about saying, I forsake all others. So the fact of the matter is that we can have relationship without fellowship. The question that comes to us today is, okay, Pastor, how can we move to a place where we have a deeper fellowship with God? First thing I need to put out there is this. You will never exhaust this. It's not like I'm going to spend two hours and I get to know the Holy Spirit. I'm done. Thank you. I know the Holy Spirit. You will, you will not, eternity is not long enough for us to deeply fellowship and get to know him. It is an ongoing, lifelong relationship. And you can't have intimacy and fellowship just by having a head knowledge of something or somebody that you've read about in a book. I have far too recently and far too often seen so many people that know all the information of the book, but it doesn't have any transaction in their life. I'm not talking about anybody here, by the way. We have letters before and after our name, and we know all the prolificness of this, but when it comes down to living it and loving somebody, was that in here? You can read about somebody, but not have fellowship. So how can we have fellowship? I'd like to give you three A's today. I'd like to give you the three A's if you're taking notes today. The first one is, if you're looking to have a uh, increase your fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the first one is you must acknowledge. What I mean by that is in John 14 verse 7, thank you for uh, Lynn who took us to John 14 this morning. Uh, John 14 verse 7, Jesus said, speaking of the Holy Spirit says, you know him, him with a capital H. You know him for he, capital H. H. Jesus is not speaking about an apparition. Jesus is not speaking about a force. Jesus is not speaking about a philosophy. Jesus is speaking about a person. The greatest revelation, the, the first thing you need to get before we go any further, if you're going to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, is this. He is a person. And it will change dramatically how you relate to him. The greatest news is that if the Holy Spirit is a person, which he is, 
a relationship can be cultivated the same as with any other person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, please hear me today. Uh, 98% of what Benny Hinn teaches, throw it out the window. But if you can get your hands on the book, Good Morning Holy Spirit, great book. Because in that book, uh, he works his way through the revelation of the fact that the Holy Spirit was a person to him. So the very practicalities of a relationship with the Holy Spirit mean if you want to be able to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's the same as cultivating a relationship with a person. You've got to spend time, often to the exclusion of other things. You've got to spend time. You've got to be vulnerable. The great news is, and I want to be, I hope I'm not stretching people's theological boundaries this morning, but he is God. So feel free to pray to him. Feel free to speak to him. Uh, Jesus said that he is our counsellor, he is our guide, and he is our helper. Uh, When I worked at the radiator shop, we used to do these big truck radiators, and you had to, to be able to test them, you had to be able to put them laying flat. Is Ken here this morning? Ken, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Ken's going, preach it, brother. Former radiator repairer, so he must be a holy man. But you had two choices when you wanted to pull it in the bath. You either had to hook it up with all these chains and we had an endless chain near the bath. It'd take forever to pull it up and then you'd muscle it in. Or I could poke my head out through the back door and go, hey, can one of you guys help me, please? And the reason so many of us struggle, the reason so many of us struggle through our Christian walk is we don't say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. He's there. These guys are always there. What we do is we get the endless chain out. We start, we start formulating systems and programs. I'll do it on my own. It's all good. I'll manage. And you might battle through somewhere on your own, but it's far easier to say, Holy Spirit, you know what? I need your help. He's the perfect gentleman. He's not going to force himself upon you. But he's waiting to have a relationship with you. The first A is acknowledge that he is a person. The second one is awareness. Paul writing to the Corinthians in their first letter. The second letter to the Corinthians is very positive because Paul wrote the first one addressing a lot of questions and a lot of problems. In the second letter, it's very positive because they had addressed most of what Paul said, but they had some problems. They were very loose with their boundaries and so forth. And what Paul wanted to remind them was he wanted to increase their awareness of exactly who it is that lives inside of them. So in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, he says, do you not know? What's he trying to say? Hey, let's get some awareness here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You guys are carrying on like a bunch of babies over here. Do you not know that God lives inside of you? Trying to raise awareness. The Holy Spirit can be grieved as part of being a person. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 30 tells us that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And that word grieve means to make sorrowful. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Number one, we ignore him. great danger today is ignoring the Holy Spirit. I grew up in the Salvation Army, and in the Salvation Army we believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church services displayed that.
The Holy Spirit desires to be a part of our everyday life. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to just be a part of your couple of hours on a Sunday. Even if you, even your one hour or so, whatever it is in the morning, the Holy Spirit wants to be a part of your working life. The Holy Spirit wants to be, when, if you're peeling potatoes, the Holy Spirit wants to be a part of you peeling potatoes. The Holy Spirit wants to know that you can have an intimate connection with him. You can talk to him. You can grow your relationship with him wherever you are. Awareness kind of sounds like this. It's, uh, if you have a religious relationship with God, it looks a little bit like this. You sit in church thinking about going fishing. But when you have a relationship, you sit in the kayak fishing and all you think about is God. God can be a part of, when we go fishing, we don't leave God. And if you're going to play golf, you're going to need God. (laughs) (laughs) For more information, I would recommend Brother Lawrence's book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence was a monk that just said, you know what, I can enjoy God. I love that. This is the one thing I love about John Piper. John Piper is what he would describe himself as as a Christian hedonist. And a Christian hedonist is someone that says, I find all of my pleasure in God. And Brother Lawrence was a man that said, I just find all of my pleasure in the presence of God. Uh, For the two or three that may have read the pastor's comments this morning, um, I think we're in, this is why next week is very important. I think we're in great danger of having flashy buildings and all the ceremony and all the pomp and ceremony. But if we don't have the cloud, if we don't have the presence of God, then this is just a concrete slab. We can turn the lights off, put the fog machines on. We can get the disco lights going. We can, we can find somebody who can actually preach. We can do all of those things, but at the end of the day, we don't have the presence of God. We're just putting on a pep talk and holding a concert. First one is we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is a person We become greatly aware of his presence. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit goes? The last one, the most important one, is agreement. Mm. Amos 3.3 asks us a very rhetorical question, which I think applies to what I want to say right now. It says, can two walk together except they be in agreeance or accept they agree? Very rhetorical question I want to ask you today. Can you walk with the Holy Spirit unless you both agree? I'm not sure if you're aware of the writings, the allegorical writings of John Bunyan, but uh, one of the characters that John Bunyan has is a man by the name of Mr. Face Both Ways. Many of us actually have a sincere heart that says, I want Jesus. But the other half of our heart sincerely says, but I still want all of the world. I still want to build my own kingdom. I still want all success. Uh, or what happens is we want to drink at multiple fountains. A little bit more about the fountains in a moment. But 
But the, the most important thing in developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit is going to be walking in agreement with the Holy Spirit. It's a life that is in agreement. You will grieve the Holy Spirit no quicker than tolerating sin in your life. Uh, remember the beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow. What a promise. What a blessing. Anybody else want to see God? That word see, by the way, wasn't a metaphorical term that Jesus used there. It was experience, see, know God. Wow. But if we backtrack to the first part of the Beatitude, it says for those that are pure in heart. And when you unpack that word pure in heart, it speaks about being single. It speaks about a singleness in our lives. Your life is heading in one direction. It's kind of like when two people stand at the altar to get married. What happens is both people are standing there saying, I am devoting my life to you to the exclusion of everybody else. That's what marriage looks like. When you're dating, you're allowed to play the field a little bit. That's what dating's all about. But when you get married, we know that and we understand that it's two people saying, to the exclusion of everyone else, I devote my life to you. Far too many of us are dating Jesus and he stands at the altar waiting for us to say, you know what, I'm going to leave everything else behind and it's just you now, Jesus. Watch what God will do with a life that says, I'm going to put everything else behind. Watch what God will do when we stop facing both ways. We get a singleness of heart and say, I'm going to walk in step with you. We all say that we want that. We all pray that we want that. But are we willing to pay the price of the commitment and the consecration that it's going to take for us to walk in step with the Holy Spirit? So many of us don't see God. So many of us are distant in our fellowship with the Holy Spirit and we have ourselves to blame because we're just like Mr. Face both ways. I don't know what you guys are doing here this morning. I'm preaching to myself. I'm glad you could turn up while I did that. I've been enormously challenged this week because the reality is that people need... Christ, people need living water, and people are thirsty, thirsty, thirsty. As I bring this to a close, I'd ask the worship team if they could prepare to come back. We're going to sing a song before we go home. But as we close, I I want to be absolutely clear because Jesus was clear and he didn't put this in the fine print. When, uh, When I was in Tasmania, there was a lake that we all liked to fish. It was a place called Weston's Lake. Now, God bless uh, those that decided to make the Higgs track, but it's not a very particularly nice track. There's a hard way to get to Western Lake, and there's an easy way. The only difference is the hard way will get you there in three hours, two hours, two, three hours. The easy way will get you there in over half a day. The hard way requires you walk four kilometres straight up the side of the Western Tiers, and then you walk about another four and a half kilometres straight across the plateau to reach the lake. Higgs track is the kind of track where goats grow shorter front legs so they can eat on the way up. It's tough. It's tough. But it's worth it when you get there. I've seen fish with dorsal fins that would make sharks look small. These... 
And I want to be absolutely clear that if your decision today is I want to have an intimate relationship with the living God, that it's sometimes it's like walking up Higgs track. It's going to be hard, it's going to be narrow, it's going to be rocky, it's going to be bumpy, but man, is it worth it. <laughs> man, when you get to Weston's Lake, you'll fight your way, you'll trip, you'll roll your ankle, you'll cry, but when you get there and you see the size of the fish, all tears roll away. There is nothing greater than growing in an intimate relationship with God, but sometimes there's nothing harder. There's a price to be paid. Jesus didn't put this in the fine print. Recently, and somewhat disturbingly, there has been a trend that begins to grow with momentum. It was happening beforehand, but it kind of escalated with Joshua Harris. I don't know if anybody knows the name Joshua Harris, but recently Joshua Harris, who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, would also stand up and say, I kissed Jesus goodbye. And Joshua Harris stands up and says, you know what, he was pastor, leader, book writer. He's now apologising to everybody that bought his book, right? Joshua Harris would say, you know what, I'm... Uh, I'm going to stop playing around here. I'm no longer a Christian. I hope I get the name right, but a leading Hillsong songwriter by the name of Marty Sampson, I believe that's what his name is, puts his hand up and says, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm not sure I ever was. An organisation that I've grown to love and admire is an organisation by the name of Desiring God, headed up by John Piper. Myself and John Piper would probably disagree on some stuff, but I love some of the stuff that he teaches. And one of his leading writers, Paul Maxwell, recently put his hand up and said, you know what, I'm no longer a Christian. Scratch beneath the surface. And you find that Joshua Harris is no longer a Christian. Why? Because he wanted to end his marriage and run over here with another lady. Marty Sampson didn't give a reason. Paul Maxwell grew up in very conservative backgrounds. What's the problem? The problem is these guys have been sitting dry for a long time. Book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was 12 when he started prophesying. What I love about Jeremiah is that uh, God asked Jeremiah, what do you see? Not what have you read? Not what do you know, but what do you see? And Jeremiah begins prophesying to a culture that would resemble ours very strongly today. And he had a message in Jeremiah chapter 2 for his culture. God said to them, I have two things against you, my people. First one is, you have rejected me, the fountain of living waters. He said, and the second one is, you have hoed out for yourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. We don't have to be dry. God never should be a philosophy or a great idea, but an experiential relationship for every one of us. I hope I've kindled some fires on the inside to pursue a relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's no formulas. There's no rules. Let's pick up this book and open yourself up to him. As we prepare to sing, can we stand and pray in his presence?
Father, I thank you this morning. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would light a fire in every heart, including my own. I want to know you more. Holy Spirit, I want you to be a part of every part of my day, every part of my life. Forgive me for the moments of neglect. Forgive me for the moments of ignorance. I pray that each and every one of us would know in greater measures the fullness of your presence. We are so thankful, Jesus, that you made the way. Nobody could have understood how it could be better that you would leave us, but now we understand. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my life. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this church. Have your way in our hearts and in our lives, we ask. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.